Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've got a Bible, it would be awesome if you would turn to Genesis chapter 3 and put a marker in Judges chapter 16. We're continuing our series entitled Pillar People, where we're taking a look at several different uses of the word pillar in scripture. This is a word that the Lord put on my radar about three and a half years ago. And I, it, it, it's just resonating with me. And, and uh, I love seeing all of the different moments in scripture where God used this word because it, it seems to be a pretty important word. And this weekend, We'll get to Judges 16, which is the passage that uh, years ago the Lord used to connect a specific piece of advice Pastor Robert gave me before I started this church. And uh, I I didn't know the word pillar was connected to this piece of advice. So we'll get there about uh, towards the end of the, the middle third of the message. I had to shave down point number one because last night point number one could have just been the whole message. And I got way too riled up with it. So let me just say, we're going to cover some things in in this message. And I I don't want to offend you. All right? And I want you to understand that my fight isn't with you. My fight is most definitely with the one picking a fight with you. So I'm not coming at you. Okay? We're going to talk about a couple of things that that we got to talk about. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare. And the title of this message, you know if you've come to this church for any amount of time, I have a slightly sarcastic side because I believe God has a very sarcastic side when you read through his word. The title of this message is, If You Really Want to Annoy Your Enemy. I've taught on spiritual warfare a decent amount here. And I know some people, when I say we're talking about spiritual warfare, they're like, please no. Like, I'd like to just pretend that this doesn't even exist, that it's not even a thing. Here's the deal. I love you, and so I have to talk about this. But it's not just that I love you, it's that I hate to lose. And since I hate to lose, we have to talk about how to make sure we enforce victory as followers of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't, we will lose. I get that the battle's been won, but if we don't enforce victory, we will experience loss. So let's jump right into this. Three points. Point number one, I must convince you this actually is a fight. This actually is a fight. The fastest way for Satan to disarm a follower of Jesus is to convince them there isn't even a fight. This is what I would do. I would try and come convince you if I were Satan and just say, don't listen to the preacher. It's rainbows and unicorns. I'm a good guy. Like I, I brought the apple to them. She was hungry. I brought her a meal. Okay, this is not how it goes. And I'm going to show you a passage of scripture that maybe some of you, 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 you you've heard that the Christian life is not easy. And, and let me just tell you for a sec. Brad and I were traveling. I had to do some stuff on the East Coast this last weekend. And I took Brad with me because I wanted to take him to a church to show him 
as not just one of our, our lead team, but one of our elders, I wanted him to see the children's department of this particular church because I wanted one of our elders to see in this next 25 years of my life and our church, I, I'm gonna go for broke going after the next generation. And I haven't always done the best at that, and I readily admit that. And by the end of this message, you might get a little context as to why, but I'm to a place in my life and my career that I, I just, if, if we don't pass the baton and strengthen them more than any generation as things get worse on this earth, then I don't know that we can make the case that we love them. And I know that's strong. But Brad and I go to this church and, and the children's pastor takes us on a tour and I didn't want Brad just to see that it's an incredible building and they, they've done an incredible job, but there, there's just the Lord's hand is on this particular children's ministry. And so the children's pastor gave us a tour and, and actually stuck us in what I would call like a new members class slash salvation class for children and their families. So when a child gets saved, it's like a new member's welcome to the family class where their whole family comes with them to this class. Brad and I sneak into the back of it just to watch. And this teacher has the gall to tell these seven-year-olds as she's telling them, she's explaining, how many of you have ever been on a journey, a fun journey, and kids would raise their hand. She said, what's your favorite journey? Disney World or hiking a mountain with my parents. And then she has the gall to say, Following Jesus is like a journey too, but it's a really, really hard journey. I was sitting in the back, like I was hitting Brad's thigh, going, you gotta be kidding me. She is teaching this, these seven-year-olds that in this family, the family of God, we do hard things. The Christian life was never meant to be easy. Here's why, because if it were, you wouldn't rely on the Holy Spirit to help you walk it out. So it's divinely designed to be difficult. But I need you to see why. There's a passage of scripture going all the way back to the garden that shows us theologically, scripturally, why. Being a follower of Jesus Christ will never be easy. If you're in Genesis 3, let's read it together, starting in verse 14. This is right after the fall, and God, he's on one, and he looks right at the serpent, Satan, operating through the serpent, and he pronounces a curse. Let me read it to you. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done all of this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Okay, it sounds like he's just talking to the snake, but now you'll see in verse 15, he isn't. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, now we're not just talking about snakes and babies. Now God is talking about his son, Jesus. He, born of a woman. And let me just say, this is a passage that's used to kind of hammer women. Right? I mean, ladies, you know this. There's a curse pronounced on women in the garden and, and that's why things are the way they are for women today. Okay, let me just say, God in the garden declares that the coming redeemer will come through a woman. Yes, there's a curse. It's not all good, but there's still a declaration of how this thing's gonna go down. And it was a promise. 
God says, he, speaking of Jesus, will strike your head, speaking to Satan, and you will strike his heel. Okay, this in theology is called the proto-evangelium. Big word, proto-evangelium. Here's what that means. First gospel. This right here is the first declaration that a redeemer is coming to make this all right. The first gospel. For the children of God, the proto-evangelium is a beacon of hope. But for the enemies of God, it's a declaration of war. God declared war in the garden that day. He said to Satan, because you have done this, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to be with her. And I'm going to bring through her offspring a redeemer who sets this all right. And there's going to be enmity. The two of you are going to be fighting until I finish this thing once and for all. God in the garden, after the first sin, declared war not on man, but on his enemies. Okay, this actually and absolutely is a fight. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 shows us a picture of this. We're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Speaking of followers of Jesus. Yes, we're human. We're in physical bodies temporarily. But this war we're in, we don't wage war physically. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, in other words, spiritual weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Here's what I need you to understand. The people of God aren't just a flock. They're an army. And if you call this church your home in this season of your life, you need to know something about me and us. I didn't come here to build the church. The Lord, when he sent me here 10 years ago, when Holly and I came, he gave us a very clear word. I'm not sending you to build the church. I'm sending you to assemble an army. Huge difference. One, you can get away with sitting on the sideline. The other, you can only get by being a savage in the kingdom of God. Welcome to our church, <laughs> savages. This fight is too important for me to allow you to sit in the sideline anymore. I went to this church. I was greeted. Brad and I went through the children's area. And an amazing thing happened. Two men greeted us at the parking lot exterior door going into the children's wing. They were men in their 60s. And I walked in there and they welcomed us to the church in the children's wing. And I thought, I'm going to hit somebody right now. I'm so riled up. This is amazing. Two 60-year-olds. Then a woman in her late 60s comes up to us and says, she could tell we, we didn't belong. We didn't have children. She probably wanted to make sure we weren't creepers. <laughs> She's doing her job. She's like, can, can I help you, gentlemen? I said, oh, we're pastors from another church. You know, uh, we, I'm, I'm showing my friend here. I wanted to see your children's ministry. Oh, what church? Gateway Church. Oh, I love Gateway Church. You know, that, that always usually works. And <laughs> we're not creepers. <laughs> but then she says, well, you can talk to this lady over here, and she can answer your questions. Another woman, probably in her late 50s. I don't have anything against 20-year-olds. We need young prophetic energy. But we also need the oaks 
to be the guardians of the gate. When I walked in there and seven-year-olds are surrounded by 67-year-olds, I wanted to tear the place down. These people get it. These people get it. It's, it's, I'm telling you, this is a fight, but it's a fun one. It's not some wrestling match with demons. The battle's already been won. <laughs> Let me say it like this. Satan started it. God declared it. Jesus finished it. And the Holy Spirit empowers the church to enforce it. This is how it goes down. This is a fun fight. But I need you to understand this whole, we're, just, we're not just a flock of sheep. We're meant to be an army of soldiers. And this isn't some masculine energy thing, ladies. Let me help you understand. We've got some women in this church. One of my favorite people in this church is a woman, a female oak, who has a five-foot-wide map of the world she's been laying on top of in her prayer closet for decades. The woman's an absolute savage. She's battling some health stuff right now. By God's grace, I absolutely believe God has healed her body because we're in a fight, and I'll just shoot straight with you. I told the Lord, I need this weapon. This woman is one of the best weapons you've given me in this church, Lord. I need her. Give her at least 15 more years, Lord. Satan would love to take her out. This is a fight. Okay? We're not just a flock of sheep. That's one of the pictures. We're also an army. Let me go a little bit further with that. Christians are called to infiltrate, not to isolate. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called as part of the army to infiltrate, go behind enemy lines, not to isolate and stay as far away from the enemy as you possibly can. So let's have a little bit of a difficult discussion for some of us. Let's talk about Halloween. I know some of us saw the trunk or treat signs out on Hayden Road. Every year at this time, they're, they're, and please hear my heart, I don't want to fight with you. This fight is big enough. I don't want to fight with my allies. I don't want to fight with my family. I want to fight the one fighting us. So please hear my heart. We might see this a little bit differently. And I might be getting a little bit bolder as I get older. Because this is war. And I am not going to be outfought by someone my Jesus has already defeated. Let's talk about Halloween, because it might have offended you a little bit to see trunk or treat because it sounds so close to trick or treat, and that you might have a very strong conviction about that. That's between you and the Lord, not between you and me. I would never come at you for that. But let me say it like this. Let me give you a different perspective of, of Halloween. And some people don't even understand the origin of Halloween. There's, there's disagreement about where it even started, when it started. Was it 8th century? Was it even hundreds of years before that? Hallow's Eve? What, where, where did this get started and what is the focus? Is, a, is it a focus on the dead saints? Well, some would say that it is. Has it turned into that? No. It's costumes and, 
And for many people, Halloween has come to resemble kind of a day focused on darkness and maybe even death, skeletons, ghouls, ghosts, all that stuff. Let me, let me just set you at ease if your heart's racing a little bit with this topic. I don't celebrate Halloween and neither do we as a church. But I'm going to use Halloween as a ploy to get people into a parking lot on October the 30th and this parking lot houses the presence of God. And more than any time in my career, I am confident that he is so present in this parking lot that these people that may not even know Jesus, may even hate Jesus, will come into this parking lot and I am more confident than ever they will experience the love of God, not just the presence of God. And there's a good chance, whether they realize it or not, they will hear the voice of God in this parking lot that houses the presence of God. And that's why on October the 30th, I'll be eating a Snickers in our parking lot with a very <laughs> prophetic look on my face. And so let me say, if you hate Jesus, if somehow you're watching this, online, by chance, if you hate Jesus and you love Snickers, on October the 30th, come stand with me and we'll share King Size Snickers together in a parking lot that houses the presence of the Lord. You'll experience the love of God and I'm pretty sure you're gonna hear the voice of God. Let's just see what goes down as we eat that nice little Snickers. Here's the deal. Over the last 10 years, I've been careful. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to frustrate our core. Here's the reality. This is war. Jesus is coming again soon. And Jesus himself looked at us, the church, and said, this is Preston's paraphrase, I've set you apart as a city on a hill, and no one in their right mind takes a light this bright and covers it up, especially on a dark day. I can't sit back on the sideline anymore. I'm not celebrating Halloween. I'm tricking them with it. I wish we would have said trick or treat because the whole thing's a trick. If candy will get you into the presence of the Lord, not being a creeper again. I'm talking about adults now. <laughs> Parents of kids. If a Snickers will get you into the presence of the Lord, especially in the season of your life when you hate him, I'll buy eight of them for you. But please hear my heart. We're not doing it to build our church. We're doing it to plunder hell. Big difference. This is a fight. And we're gonna have to engage in this fight in some ways maybe we haven't in the past. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 is one of my favorite moments in Jesus' ministry. And I just, I've always tried to picture what it looked like. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And I think in this part of the phrase, he, the sentence, he's looking right at Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Okay, notice Jesus says he will build his church. That's why he told me, don't come here and build a church. That's my job. That's Jesus' job to build the church. But then after that, Jesus says, I'll build my, my church on this rock. Then he says, and all the powers of hell 
will never conquer it. I personally think Jesus might have been looking over the shoulder at, at Peter to his enemy, God's enemy, who was hovering around. Clearly, it was around every once in a while because remember that time Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. I think he was looking over Peter's shoulder. And this was another declaration of war. I have come to redeem. I have come for my bride. And I'm going to build my church. This is war. And all of your powers will never conquer my church. That's why IBM might last 100 years, but my church is never going out of business. Because the powers of hell cannot conquer my church, Jesus says. This is war and you can come at my bride, but you will never conquer my bride. Hey, I don't want to come to church and just be like, I'm a sheep. I am a sheep, but I'm a sheep who's been enlisted, enlisted into an army. I don't want to die a senior pastor. I want to die a general. I want to be a part of something that plunders hell over the next 25 years. This is a fight. I want to see us land so many blows. But if we see this as just a walk and never a fight, we're right where Satan wants us to be as a church. If you're worried that I'm going to get into, I'm going to become this guy, you know, talking about spiritual warfare all the time, just chasing demons around, talking to demons all the time. Let me put you at ease. That's not, that's not healthy. It's not good, nor is it godly. And I remember, because I, I, you can tell I have a little bit of a scrappy side. I'm spiritually scrappy. Put me in a, I'm like scrappy-doo. <laughs> For the older people who watched Scooby-Doo growing up. I'm like scrappy. I'm the scrawny one just going, let me at him, let me at him. <laughs> and I remember when the Lord had to teach me, and he, and he did it in this one sentence, and it just calibrated me for the rest of my life as it relates to spiritual warfare. Preston, you don't chase your enemy's tail. You seek your father's face. So when the Church of Satan comes in to our city and holds their first conference, in any city in the world, their first conference, they pick our city. Wonderful compliment. My scrappy side says, and I went to the elders and I said, Holly and I are going to rent out the room with our own money. We're going to rent out the room where they held their conference on Good Friday. And I'm going to spend the whole day in prayer. And I just felt the Lord remind me, no, you're not. You don't chase your enemy's tail. You go right back into that room and you seek my face. Preston, the battle's been won. You don't have to go chase him like you're trying to earn victory. Victory's been decided. My children enforce my victory. <laughs> so how do we do it? How do we become annoying to our enemy? Point number two, the Bible shows us the way. It's the opposite spirit. You may have never been taught this before, but I'm gonna teach you something Pastor Robert taught me. That the way to enforce victory against our enemy is to move, walk, live in the opposite spirit. This is all throughout scripture. Romans 12, 21 shows us one of the ways. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing what? The opposite of evil. 
Preston, it's this simple. Here's how you enforce victory against my enemy. You do the opposite of what he does. You don't have to talk to him. You don't have to engage with him. One of the most powerful things, if you ever feel overwhelmed by your spiritual enemy and God's enemy, one of the most powerful phrases you can use is this, the Lord rebuke you. <laughs> you don't even have to talk about yourself. I don't. The Lord rebuke you. I just stand in his power. He stands with me. This isn't about me. The Lord rebuke you. You come at my kids. The Lord rebuke you. Your fight's with Jesus, not with me. You might be trying to pick on me and my family, but you need to take it up with my boss. The Lord rebuke you. Scripture teaches us. Here's how we enforce victory. We walk in the opposite spirit. If you're moving in the same direction as your enemy, that's called losing. Galatians 5.17 illustrates this. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit, capital S, wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Okay, the, the sinful nature, the flesh, this isn't just talking about the physical body, it's talking about our old nature before Christ, which could be dominated by God's enemies, leveraged against us. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. You've got to understand, Paul isn't just talking about the physical body. He's not saying the body is negative. The body is neutral. It can be used for good or it can be used for evil. If you're led by the spirit, your body will be used for good. If you're led by the old nature and under the dominion and authority of God's enemy, it will lead to the lusts or desires of the flesh. But the body is neutral, okay? You have to decide what you're going to do with it. Now, if you, if you put a marker in Judges 16, go ahead and flip over there. I'll give you some context to this passage. Judges 13, the angel of the Lord, and I mentioned this briefly in a message a couple weeks ago, the angel of the Lord comes to Samson's parents and says, this baby is totally different, altogether separate, another meaning holy. Therefore, this baby is to be raised in an altogether different manner. Here's a, my paraphrase. Uh, in a way opposite of the way everybody else is raising their children. There's something different or opposite about this baby. So this baby must be raised in an opposite manner of what's going on in his day. Okay? That's the, the brief context of Judges 16. Now, if you know anything about Samson's life, Samson is a man known for supernatural strength. Now, I need to help you understand something because some of us, we learned about Samson in children's church and they, they we, you know, back in the day we had felt boards and the picture of Samson they put in the felt board made him look like the Incredible Hulk, right? Okay, I don't think that's accurate, accurate actually. Here's why. The Philistines came to him asking the question, what's the secret to your strength? If the secret to his strength were muscle, they wouldn't have asked him. I think Samson looked a little bit more like moi. <laughs> I think he was scrawny for a divine reason. 
so that when he was divinely enabled with supernatural strength, his muscle never got the credit or the glory. His God did. This is why they asked, what's the secret? And here was the secret. He had to do things opposite. Took a Nazarite vow. Couldn't drink the way everyone, all the partiers around him were drinking. There was a lot of celebration. Couldn't cut his hair. There were things laid out he couldn't do that everybody else could do. He was meant to live in a manner opposite of everyone else around him. Now, let's read at the end of his life. If you've, if you've read about Samson, he gets a little bit off the rails. He actually divulges the secret to his strength in arrogance and loses that strength. Starting in verse 26, they've captured him. They gouge out his eyes because remember, Samson had killed a lot of the Philistines to this point. So they hated him. Now here are all these people in the temple of their God, worshiping Dagon, giving him credit for defeating Samson, okay? So a God who is opposite of our God is being worshiped by opposites. And here's Samson, watch this. Samson says to the young servant who is leading him by the hand, okay, remember, he's blind, they gouged out his eyes. He's being led around by the hand of a young boy. And he says to this servant, would you place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple? I want to rest against them. Now the temple of Dagon was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers, the opposite rulers, were there. And there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof which were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the one true God. Sovereign Lord, would you remember me again? My paraphrase, I know I've screwed up. I know my strength comes from you. God, would you please strengthen me just one more time? With one blow, would you let me pay back these opposites for gouging out my two eyes? Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars. I'd call these the strongholds of this temple. Get the picture. Puts his hands on the two center pillars holding up the entire structure, pushing against them with supernatural strength. He prayed. This is Preston's paraphrase. God, I know you made me to be an opposite. And I know you made me to oppose those who oppose you. Would you let me die with these Philistines? And he pushed because God strengthened him and the temple crashed down on the opposite rulers and all of the opposites. So in his death, he killed more people than he did in his life. This is the picture, I believe, for every pillar person. God has called us as an army to push against the pillars holding up the demonic opposite structures which set themselves opposed or against our God. Let me show you how this looks, this power of the opposite spiritually. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. 
a verse many of you might know, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. Okay, I need you to see this. This is the power of spiritual opposites at work. God says, Preston, you remember that time when the spirit of fear came at you those two years? I mean, tried to take you and your family out. Do you remember that? Yes, Lord, I remember. Well, let me show you how it went down. Satan came at you, whispering in your ear, I'm going to kill you. And he scared you. He made you think I was distant from you. And he messed with your mind in such a way there were times you thought you were going crazy. Yes, Lord, I remember. Well, let me show you how I roll, son. That fear didn't come from me. That, can't, that was a chess move from your enemy and mine. And I want to show you, using my word, my chess move and checkmate in response to his move. I didn't just come with one thing to help you stand against that spirit of fear. He convinced you you were weak and easy to take out. So I came in power. He convinced you that you were isolated and that's why you were going to be easy to take off because I was distant from you. I came in love promising never to leave you or forsake you. And when he messed with your mind, I put my hands on your head and stared him in the face, son of mine, and said, this is one of my children. And in the midst of your panic attack or anxious moment, the Prince of Peace comes in and says, no more. Power, love, sound mind, all the opposite of fear and what it does to you. Jesus showed us he came in the opposite spirit. John 10, verse 10, Jesus said the thief's purpose speaking of Satan, is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The opposite. Okay, here's the question. Why the opposite spirit? Because you can't defeat what you imitate. That's why. If you're doing the same thing your enemy would do, you're doing his job for him. That's why we have to move in the opposite spirit. Here's point number three, and this is going to be a quickie because I don't want to spend time fixating on our enemy, but I just want to reveal, I want to uncover. Point number three, here's how we win in this city. I'm going to get specific. I'm not just saying here's how you win in your life. I'm saying if God called you to be a part of this church, God has asked us to go at two ungodly demonic pillars holding up an ungodly establishment, powers and principalities in the unseen world in our city and in this valley. And as a church, we're called to push against those and enforce the victory Jesus decided with his death, burial, and resurrection when he overcame death, hell, and the grave. Pastor Robert, when he sent me out here a couple years before we started the church, he said, Press, I want you to go out there under the cover of darkness like Nehemiah. No one knew I was, I was coming to Scottsdale at this point. And he said, I want you to start going out there, spending some time alone with the Lord, and asking him to reveal the prevailing powers and principalities over the city he's calling you to. I've told stories about one of my best friends, Pat Collins. We did an interview together a couple years ago. Uh, somebody that Holly and I love very deeply and spent like 15 years trying to love into the kingdom of God. And it took me into some places I probably never, never would have gone, to be quite honest. 
I didn't do what the people in the room were doing. If something was illegal, I was never in the room for that. I want you to know that. But there were some difficult things that I saw. And in this one particular trip, when I came to Scottsdale, one of the things that everybody knew about Pat, Pat was one of the best at throwing parties in this town. His entire kids' school, their middle school, they had a school-wide party where the city of Scottsdale loaned the trolley to Pat so that they could shuttle people. And you can imagine why. Back to where they were. I was at one of these parties, and it was one of the darkest nights I've ever experienced before. I just felt a very dark and intense heaviness. It felt very depressing. It felt very intimidating. It was highly unsettling. And I left the party early because I just couldn't handle it. I went back to his guest house that night, and I was in the bedroom of the guest house, just praying and talking to the Lord, trying to shake this. And I said to the Lord, what, what is this? I've never felt this before. This is so spiritually intense. I don't know if I can handle this. And I felt the Lord say, Preston, this is the two prevailing powers and principalities in the city I have called you to. I said, Lord, what are they? He said, the spirit of hedonism and the spirit of mammon. So I don't want to spend much time coming at this, but I do want to show you this is not completely unheard of. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to Tim Timothy and says, Timothy, you should know this, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Okay, this is why we don't want to be a killjoy with our kids, but we can't teach them that it's going to be life with Jesus is going to be all rainbows and unicorns. In this family, we do hard things. That's why we've been given God's Holy Spirit, so that we can be divinely enabled to do hard things. Paul says, in the last days, things are going to be really difficult. Watch this. In the last days, people will love only themselves and their money. That is hedonism and mammon right there. What is hedonism? I'll give you kind of my picture of it. Hedonism is when selfish, ungodly pleasure is the purpose of all my pursuits. So here's the question. How do we enforce victory against a spirit of hedonism? Against hedonism, we fight with pure hearts. Why do you think one of our values is innocence? Because God's called us to a city where God's enemy is trying to cause selfish, ungodly pleasures to run rampant in this town. I'm not speaking or judging people. I'm telling you and trying to help you see there is a spirit at work trying to manipulate and operate through these selfish, ungodly pleasures. And against that, we'll fight with pure hearts. Here's the second prevailing power and principality, the spirit of mammon. Here's my picture of mammon. When money becomes the answer to all my problems, that's the evidence of mammon at work. When, when money becomes a god, the solution to everybody's problem in this town, Money isn't evil, just like the, the human body, it's neutral. But what you do with it decides whether it's money used for good or evil, right? And mammon, mammon's goal is to get all of us to believe that money, not God, is the solution to all of our problems. 
In Matthew chapter 6, I think it's verse 33, Jesus goes on record and says, hey, you can't serve both God and mammon. Here's how big this fight is, Jesus says. You can't serve my father and mammon simultaneously. You're going to bow your knee to one or the other, but it can't be both. Against mammon, how do we fight? Against mammon, we fight by sacrifice. We sacrifice. We're a church that consistently sacrifices. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about sacrificing our time. You're a 72-year-old who, after I told that story today, feels the Holy Spirit leading. I need to get involved with the next generation. You, my friend, are hearing the voice of God. And I believe you're going to be anointed in a way you've never seen him pour oil over your head to any point in your life. You're going to see it. Here's why. Because you're sacrificing. You're putting your hands on the pillars that hold up this demonic substructure in this city and saying, not in our town. I don't want to get too personal in this message, but I do want to give you some context as to why I'm probably going to be more riled up this next 25 years than I was even in the first 10. I'm 44 years old, been in ministry 22 years, so all of my adult life, half of my actual life. And for 22 years, I felt the Lord repeatedly use a phrase with me that in, in the early days would frustrate me, but I just heard it so many hundreds and hundreds of times that I just got used to it and stopped fighting it. And here was the phrase, not yet, not yet. I was a youth pastor for the first six-ish years at Gateway. I can't tell you how many times there were moves, spiritual moves, I felt like we could have made. And I felt the Lord say, not yet. You don't play that card yet, not yet. Then I became a young adults pastor. When I moved on to be a, a young adults pastor, the youth pastor who took the youth ministry that, that Brooke and I helped start took the thing and exploded. It exploded. It was amazing for the kingdom, not just the church. I became the young adults pastor. It started to grow rapidly. We could have maximized momentum. Spiritually made a few moves. Every time I felt the Lord say, not yet. Not yet, Preston, it's not time. Not yet. Then they sent me to a campus used to be a former church. It was in disarray. There were things I felt like we could have done. I felt like the Lord said, not yet. Not yet. Come here. God gives us a campus. I think, Lord, is this time? Not yet. This campus isn't for you. You're holding it for someone else until they're ready. Not yet. For 22 years of my life, I felt God say, not yet. And for that 22 years, in the last 10 as a church, I feel like what I and we have been doing is stockpiling spiritual ammunition. And there have been times over the last 10 years as a church, I felt like we had the, the spiritual weapon up, ready, steady, and locked on our enemy's head. And the Lord said, not yet. And then a couple of months ago, I don't know why. I can't say I saw it coming because I just got so used to hearing not yet that I, 
I think in kind of my heart, I just thought it would always be not yet. That not yet would turn into never. And then a couple of months ago, I felt the God of the universe speaking not just to me, but to this army said, now, 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 Preston, now, 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 go get them. And I'm adding a goal to your life. I told you years ago, the two goals I set for you were to die a little boy with clean hands and a pure heart, but I'm adding one more goal. You're gonna die with not one bullet left in your spiritual holster. I have given you access to a stockpile of weaponry, Preston. And for the next 25 years of your life, you're gonna roam up and down this valley firing every bullet I give you. Now, now. And it's funny that you would clap because when he started saying now, that's what I felt like I was hearing. Now. And it was like bullets going off in the heavenlies. Now. Some of you have been sitting on the bench for a while. Get up now. You've been fighting a besetting sin for years. Kick it to the curb now. This is war. And if I were your enemy, I'd try to take you out too. But it's time. We cannot sit on the sideline like a bunch of bad, bad sheep. We are the army of God most high. This is war and our king is coming again soon. We have work to do. But in this church, you don't come here. I've told our staff, you don't come here to work. We will say this of every prospective employee for the rest of my career. You don't come here to work, you come here to war. This is war. And you're not just in a family, you've been set in an army. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.